Hello, I'm TJ, and you're listening to TJ's Garden. Uh, today we're going to talk about cucumbers. First, I thought I'd talk a little bit about my own garden, and then we'll get right into that. Uh, this is episode 27, and if you want to call to leave any notes or comments or anything else about the show, you can call at 661-368-5177 and leave a voicemail. So, in my garden, uh, things are going pretty good. Uh, I... Did something I do pretty much every summer. I'm actually going to talk about a little bit more in a bit. But as I spoke about in the last episode, because, you know, our heat gets pretty high here. We get up in the hundreds. Um, some plants don't do as well as others. And so usually, kind of coming into early summer, into warmer summer, uh, I start removing the cucumbers, which start getting a little bitter. And I replace those with, traditionally, I've done Armenian cucumbers this year. Like I said in the last episode, I've been doing Greek cucumbers. And they've been doing amazingly well. I'm actually getting almost more than I can use. Um, I'm a big fan of them. <laughs> my girlfriend's a big fan of them. The rest of my family is not. So I eat quite a bit. She eats the occasional one. Um, so we're getting through them, but it, we're on a razor's edge of, of just having too much abundance with them. So they're doing really well. Um, I also have my California poppies going to seed. So I'm collecting up the seed cases for those. Uh, I did not plant California poppies themselves this year. What I planted was a mix of wildflower seeds that I had gotten in a box of Cheerios. <laughs> and the only thing that came up was the uh, California poppies, which I am saving for next year. So from now on, I will have poppy seed. Um, I also bought some pineberry roots. Uh, pineberries are a form of strawberry that has a more pineapple-like flavor. They are also stark white, so they're kind of visually stunning. Um, and I bought a, bought about six of them and I, you know, took them, uh, they got here, it's been really hot and they got here and they looked half dead, but you know, as usual with strawberry roots, I soaked them and let them soak up pretty good. And then I went ahead and planted them out, but I made the mistake of putting them in my greenhouse, which I've left open during the hotter part of the day. So it's, it actually hasn't been that bad for keeping plants in there. It's just helped keep things a little more humid without really increasing the heat all that much, but these just did not do well. Um, I mulched the top, which I probably shouldn't have done. I probably should have held off on mulch until I actually saw some green, because if you bury the crown of strawberries, they don't tend to do very well. Uh, I was more worried about water retention than I was rot. That was a mistake. So I'm pretty sure those are dead, <laughs> but I have other plants that will eventually go in that uh, grow bag. I have a large 20 gallon grow bag I had set up for them and I'll, I'll put something else in there. I'm really using a lot of grow bags lately. I really love them because I don't have a ton of space. Uh, my, my garden area, like the, the actual vegetable patch I have is 11 by 11. Um, and I have four beds that I, I built up in there. And then I have a couple of perimeter beds around the lawn that I've used. But I just, I don't have a ton of space. So I've been putting some stuff in pots, but grow bags are really affordable. I can, until the pandemic hit and everything got a little more expensive, I could buy about 10 for a little over 10 bucks. So it was around a buck a bag. It wasn't a bad deal, especially for the little five gallon bags I was using a lot of. Uh, the 20 gallon in that costs a little bit more. But even though I don't have as many as I would have liked to have, I still have more than I ended up needing. So I still have space for plenty more plants. I just have to keep buying potting mix. But they're really great because they're lightweight. You can move them around. Uh, they usually have handles if you get the nice fabric. They're nice and light. You can move them around uh, depending upon the amount of soil in them and whether or not you've watered them. But they uh, they tend to be a lot more portable. The nice fabric ones have handles. Um, if you 
if you don't have one problem I've had is they're not very good for transplanting. If I plant something in a grow bag and then I try to pull it out to put somewhere else, uh, the soil kind of sticks to the grow bag more than it would a pot. And so it just kind of all falls apart. Uh, so I wouldn't recommend growing something in a grow bag for transplant, although they do have little transplant pots that the roots can grow right through that are these little white uh, bags. I don't know too much about them yet. Uh, when I find out a little more, I'll talk about them. I see them online a few places. I know Mary's Seed is doing a fall planting kit that has them, uh, so I may look into it from there. But those are kind of nice. Uh, they basically just let you you know, grow it in that little bag instead of growing them in a bunch of little pots and then, and then let you stick it out in your garden. Uh, the downside is like a lot of materials, I don't think they will actually break down in the soil as much as they're advertised as doing. Um, I have found even those little peat pots, I found those wrapped around the base of plants, uh, you know, an entire season later. <laughs> so I don't know. They always dry. And it may also just be because I'm in such a dry climate that maybe they don't, they desiccate and they don't really ever entirely rot. Um, like they should, <laughs> but yeah, I, I've never had luck getting them to dissolve, but usually the plant can grow through them. So what I end up finding is around kind of the core of the root ball, I'll find this sort of battered and beaten remnant of whatever it was that it was planted in when I, when I plant one of these supposedly, uh, biodegradable pots. And I'm sure they will eventually degrade because I'm sure I put them on compost heaps before, forgotten about them, and never seen them again. So eventually they probably do. But in the span of time it takes them to grow, produce fruit, yada yada, I don't know that you're going to see that much of a of a breakdown. <laughs> Doesn't mean they don't work. I'm sure they work just fine. Uh, the, the couple of times I've used them, they've, they've worked perfectly fine. It's just that they don't entirely break down the way you might expect. Uh, but yeah, so I have a lot of those. I have some pepper plants. I'm desperately want to get out in the garden, but the problem is because of the high heat, the little seedlings are, they're not dying because peppers are fairly heat tolerant, but they're also not growing because the temperatures are so high. So I'm just waiting for the temperatures to pop back down into the nineties and eighties. So I'll start seeing a lot more growth on those little guys and I can get them back in pots. So again, it's, it's another case of I'm really set up to have a great fall garden, but summer has been a mixed bag and spring was a total bust. <laughs> so that's been my year. Um, again, if you want to talk about your garden or anything, you can uh, give me a call at 661-368-5177. Leave a voicemail. If it's something interesting, I'll play it on air. Um, so let's get into the main topic for today, uh, cucumbers. Cucumbers are notoriously bitter, although a lot of people who haven't had a garden cucumbers might not know that. <laughs> they might also not know about the burping and gas issues you can sometimes get from them. Uh, this is because most commercial varieties that you're going to see at a grocery store are often burpless varieties. Some of them are actually uh, what are called parthenocarpic hybrids, and that just means that they do not produce seed. They do not get fertilized ever. They just immediately go from flower to producing a seedless fruit, and that's it. <laughs> and those are kind of neat. I'm going to get into those a little bit because they're a little complex. I actually don't entirely understand them, but what I do understand is very, very interesting to me. Uh, so cucumbers have their origins in India. They were first cultivated there. Uh, a big sort of turning point for them in Western culture, though, and in, in the Mediterranean to a degree, too, at least recently, um, was in the 20s. The Beit Alpha, and I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that variety, was developed on a kibbutz in israel um during the huge kibbutz movement which was a big communal farming thing that happened early on in israel's history i believe they're still operating uh 
But the Beta Alpha variety was developed, and it was a nice, thin-skinned, softer variety. It had a, a sweeter flavor than most cucumbers on the market at the time did. Uh, it became hugely popular in the Mediterranean, eventually spread out to other places. But uh, in the 1940s, that variety came into commercial cultivation, uh, and it became a big hit there as well. Uh, now, currently, even though the Beta Alpha isn't the basis for our commercial varieties, uh, it is one contributor in the breeding. <laughs> but the the big the big varieties we grow in, at least in the U.S., are slicing, pickling, and burpless or seedless varieties. Beta Alpha comes back in at, at the burpless and seedless varieties in an interesting way in a little bit. Um, they are mostly self-incompatible, although the lemon cucumbers and varieties bred from the lemon cucumbers are compatible with themselves, so you don't actually have to have another plant for them to pollinate. Uh, lemon cucumbers are awesome. They don't taste like lemon. They are just shaped like little lemons. So you have this cucumber plant with these little lemon-shaped fruits popping up that are yellow, and uh, the, the main difference visually from an actual lemon is that they're spiky, and they're a little more round than most varieties of lemon are. They don't have that classic lemon shape quite so much. They're just these little sort of baseballs of yellow. But when you cut them open, they have a classic cucumber taste they are very rarely bitter i've never actually had a bitter one and the really great thing about them is they just they're huge producers they are very heat tolerant they are very uh like i said they're self-compatible so you only need one plant and you'll still get fruit because they will pollinate themselves unlike a lot of varieties so they're amazing variety i recommend growing them by the way i've grown them several times i i honestly don't know why i'm not growing them this year i i just didn't order seed and i don't know why I can't think back to a reason I had for not ordering seed. I honestly don't know why I ordered the cucumbers I did, because I knew I was going to have a late start this year, so I knew I wasn't going to get much before it got too hot for them. So I don't know why I didn't just buy the lemon cucumbers in the first place. It was just a, a big lapse in my own thinking, I guess. Um, but yeah, the lemon cucumber varieties, self-pollinating, really awesome they don't come up in commercial cultivation in America that much, but you do see them in other countries. There are a huge range of cucumber varieties. You do not see that often in the United States, but are very popular overseas. Um, usually they're very regional. You know, you only find this variety in, you know, a couple of countries or whatever, that sort of thing. Uh, but here, the, the first main variety we grow are the slicing cucumbers. And those ones are long, thin. They have that tough, dark, almost black skin. Uh, and they usually have very few to minimal seeds. Um, the seed chamber in it is usually pretty small. And those are those big black ones you see at a grocery store, right? The nice long ones that are uh, roughly evenly shaped along their length. And those are really good for slicing up and, you know, putting in your salads or drinks or whatever. Uh, that's That's specifically what they're grown for. Then you have varieties that are called the picklers. And picklers are the sort of classic uh ovoid lumpy skin kind of warty uh sometimes sour sometimes really kind of bitter cucumbers i always grow those every year and i never <laughs> i never pickle so i end up growing them because i think they look so neat and then i don't like the taste of them and then it gets too hot and they start getting really bitter which i'm going to go into in a second about the bitterness but yeah so in general they they just don't work out very well for me but i always grow them Again and again and again. In fact, the variety I grew this year was also a pickling cucumber. Go figure. Uh, and then the last variety are the burpless. And this is where we get into why cucumbers go bitter so often. A cucumber's natural response to any stress, uh, hot days, long 
uh, dry periods, long wet periods, root rot, uh, predation by insects and pests, uh, aphids, any stress at all is met with making the uh, vegetables, or in this case, actually fruit, making the cucumbers themselves very, very bitter. <laughs> and the reason why they do this is it, it goes back kind of in their evolutionary history to, you know, the, the wild types where if there's a stressor, then it needs to guarantee it produces seeds because it is probably going to die <laughs> and it needs to make seed. So it's represented in that next generation, right? That's its survival is that the seed will go off somewhere else, hopefully better, and will produce more plants like it and continue on the line. And so they make the fruit very, very, very bitter. And I, I say they, I'm not intending to anthropomorphize them. I'm not trying to make it seem like this is a thought process. This is just their biology. But when they get any of these stressors, it triggers a development of a compound called cucurbitacin, which is present in all cucumbers. But it becomes more present when they're stressed. And it's that bitter flavor that bad cucumbers can have. And in addition to tasting bad and not being great on your digestive tract, it can actually give you kind of an upset stomach, things like that. And it can also cause really bad gas, burping, etc. It's intended to make it very unpalatable to whatever's got, might cause damage to it before it ripens and is done. Now, when it ripens, it's bitter anyway, but that's usually not a phase when we eat it. So we're basically just getting the bad for a, a point where that's never going to do us any good. We eat immature cucumbers. Um, and so because we're eating these imma immature cucumbers and because any stressor makes them bitter, we work to breed that out. Now, the less bitter varieties tend to have thinner skins because the skin tends to be a major source of cucurbitacin. Uh, they also tend to have as few seeds as possible because, again, that is a source of cucurbitacin. But the main way they've actually found to make uh, cucumbers that are less bitter is they breed in a trait for parthenogenesis, what I was talking about before, where it just immediately produces a fruit without actually being pollinated. So this thing goes and makes the structure for reproduction without the actual reproduction ever occurring. Now, the weird thing about this is I believe, and if anybody knows better, by all means, call the number 661-368-5177. Give me a call and let me know I'm wrong because I would like to know I'm wrong. I don't know as much about this as I would like to. But well, I'll, I'll walk it back because I have to explain one thing to explain why I don't know how this works. <laughs> watermelons are triploids. And what that means is you breed a line that is uh, quadruploid, meaning it has twice as much DNA as it needs, right? You, you, you induce a mutation that causes a line that is way overproduced on DNA. It has double the amount of DNA in each cell that it needs. And then you have another line that is the original type that has the normal amount of DNA. And when you cross them, you get one and a half. Which, as it turns out, in plants isn't that bad. Plants can live their lives like that. Uh, bananas do it, and watermelons do it. But the problem is, just like with the seedless banana, the watermelon can't produce true functional seed. So what the normal process is that we breed this variety, and then we plant them in a field with some all-male varieties, hybrids that have been developed, because the triploid pollen that they try to produce doesn't actually work. Triploid plants can't produce pollen. So even though they may produce some male flowers, those flowers are producing pollen that is sterile and doesn't do anything. And even though the watermelon doesn't actually need the pollen, because it's not ever going to make 
functional seed, it needs the stimulation from the pollen to trigger fruiting. So we grow the male varieties, the all-male variety, right next to the all, well, not all, but mostly female uh, seedless varieties. And then they produce the watermelon. They start to produce the seed, which is why you get those little white, not quite seeds in seedless watermelons. They begin to produce seed like that, but then it stops before it ever produces an embryo or anything. So those seeds aren't viable. You can't plant them. They don't do anything. But this is why you can buy seeds for a seedless watermelon, because they do the hybridization at the facility where they breed the plants for seed. They collect those seeds, but then those plants growing from those seeds will never produce seed themselves. And so we have that variety and we have the male variety, all to produce fruit that has no seed. Now, I thought this was the same process they did to get seedless cucumbers. Seedless cucumbers are not super popular in the U.S., although there are more growers of them every day. But they're very popular in England and parts of Europe and in the Mediterranean. And bait alpha was used to breed some of these varieties. And so what they've done is, as I understand it, again, my understanding is far from complete. They... There's actually a trait that creates parthenogenesis in cucumbers, which means there is a gene that triggers the development of seedless fruit. Now, you'd think this, seed, this gene couldn't get passed on, except if a seedless cucumber is pollinated at all with, with viable cucumber pollen, then it will produce viable seeds. So it's not just that it's parthenogenic. It's that if it has pollen, then it produces a normal cucumber with seeds. If it doesn't have pollen, then it goes straight through and produces a cucumber without any seeds. So in cultivation, what they do is they actually protect these things. They grow them in greenhouses or they grow them in fields that are isolated from any other nearby cucumber fields to prevent cross-pollination as much as possible. And when they're doing the actual breeding for these plants, they can breed them because whenever they come in contact with pollen, they're going to produce viable seed. So what they've done is they've crossed a Partheno, I believe a Partheno uh, carpic variety with a beta alpha to produce a line that has the Parthenocarpic gene, but is mostly the beta alpha variety of cucumber. And then they cross that back to beta alpha again. I'm assuming they've developed hybrid lines of those two things. Again, I don't know exactly how they do it. And then the end result will be a beta alpha. And they've done the same thing for slicing cucumbers, which I believe are the more popular ones in England um, and other things. So, it's a weird process that I don't understand entirely, but as I do understand it, seedless cucumbers are not triploids like seedless watermelon or seedless banana. Um, it is just a trait they have, and that's why you have to protect them from pollination, because if you don't, then they're just going to produce a normal seeded cucumber, and a quirk of it seems to be that they're actually, on average, a little more bitter than they should be for their variety. So if you let them get pollinated, they become bitter. If you don't, you get a nice, sweet, and completely seedless variety, which is really cool and really weird, and I really wish I knew more about it. But that's that's what I do know, or at least what I've been able to find out. Um, but that's enough about cucumbers. The weird thing is I don't grow that many cucumbers in the middle of summer because I don't generally grow seedless varieties of cucumbers. They're not that common in the U.S. anyway, and even though they're becoming more common, they don't interest me that much. Um, so what I try to do when I plan my garden better than I currently have is I will grow normal cucumbers in the spring. I'll start as early as I can, get as much as I can out of our nice long spring, 
And then once the temperatures start hitting the hundreds and the cucumbers start getting bitter and or just not producing as well, I will rip them out and replace them with uh, Armenian cucumbers, which is this long cucumber-like fruit that has the same flavor as cucumber. They're never bitter and they grow really well in the summer. And you can eat them at all stages. So it's not like cucumber where you can't eat it when it's too old. It's just they're not as good when they're as old. But they aren't nasty. They're just not They're not as good as they are when they're younger. But they're still okay. Um, and so I grow those most years over the summer. And they produce like crazy all summer. And I also grow lemon cucumbers, which also do well in the summer. And then when the summer's over, I plant a fall crop of conventional cucumbers again. And get as many of those as I can before the frost show up and kill them. Which I didn't do this year, but I normally do that. Um, and the neat thing about Armenian cucumbers, or the Greek variant of them that I'm growing right now, is that they're not cucumbers at all. Real cucumbers are cumus sativus. And Armenian cucumbers and all the variants thereof are cucumus mellow. So they're actually cantaloupes. They're basically long, skinny, cucumber-flavored, cucumber-colored cantaloupe, which is really weird. <laughs> and the Xilangoro Greek ones that I grow are the same thing, which is also really weird. And the really weird thing is the earliest description we have of them is neither Greek uh, nor Armenian. It's Egyptian. They were called the Egyptian hairy cucumber, which, or the Egyptian hairy melon, which is apropos because... Um, even though they don't have spines or bumps like conventional cucumbers do, they do tend to have a little bit of fuzz on them, especially when they're younger. And I can only imagine that the Egyptian variety just had way more. Um, now, the the good thing is these are a superior slicing cucumber. They're really good just to eat fresh. Um, I eat, I'll just grab one out of the fridge and start munching on it. They're amazing. But I don't know how well they are pickled. I've never had them pickled. I've never tried to pickle them myself. I have found accounts of people pickling them, so I believe it is possible, but I don't know if they're a very good pickling cucumber. But for your fresh cucumber needs, they're way better, especially in the summer when you can get them. I don't know how they grow in cooler climates, though, but I am fairly familiar with how they grow in ours. So I think, I think they're okay. <laughs> so I want to do an episode about cucumbers because I've always found cucumbers fascinating. The family that includes them includes all of our melons, squashes, watermelons, everything weird like that. Um, and they're just a fascinating group. I know it makes for a short episode, but uh, I am working on some longer ones. So stay tuned. <laughs> anyway, that's all I have to say today about cucumbers. Uh, definitely give Armenian cucumbers or their Greek cousins or any other variant thereof a chance. They're amazing. Uh, also try out the lemon cucumber varieties. Those are really good as well. I'll have some links in the show notes as to where you can pick up some seed. But until then, if you could go on to the website podchaser.com, uh, search for TJ's Garden and give the show a review, I would really appreciate that. It also has some uh, links in there where you can share your review on social media. So you can post your review on Twitter or Facebook or whatever. Uh, if you could do that for me, I'd really appreciate it because it helps get the word out. Uh, but even if you don't, if you just sit there and enjoy the show, I appreciate that as well. Anyway, go out and enjoy your garden.